Welcome, Screensavers. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. And together we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. And today, unfortunately, our co-host Michael has decided to boycott because he did not want to come to see 80 for Brady with us, the newest sports comedy starring some acting legends, including Rita Moreno, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and the GOAT Tom Brady. Um, I know we all, we're from New England, we love Tom Brady, I know Mike doesn't, but I know me and Tyler, we're on the same page with that. Um, sure. <laughs> his, his legacy means a lot here in New England. Um, so this, this movie was just fantastic, let's get into what it's about. While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand they make a choice to avert the apocalypse... Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. That's because we're not talking about 80 for Brady, guys. We're talking about one of the most exciting filmmakers of the 21st century, M. Night Shyamalan. I love it. What a twist. (laughs) That was Matt's idea. It was a good one. Thank you for that. So, yeah, we are not here to talk about 80 for Brady. We're here to talk about, like I said, one of the most high-profile writer-directors with one of of the most fascinating Hollywood sagas of the last 25 years, M. Night Shyamalan. I'm super excited. I love this guy. We're going to go through his filmography leading up to our review of his newest movie, Knock at the Cabin. So, before we begin with that, let's just say... Guys, what is your relationship to Mr. Shyamalan? Do you have a long-standing history, or is it a bit mixed, like a lot of people? So what I'll say about M. Night Shyamalan is, even though I think a lot of people can agree he's probably had more misses than hits in his filmography by this point, um, it he, he produces so much intrigue, with the way he makes his films like even he still manages to get people into theaters into seats to at least see what he's doing next it doesn't always pay off but he's much like Zemeckis in that he he can go a long time without having a hit and people will still show up for him so nothing but respect for him on that angle I don't, are people showing up for Zemeckis? I don't, I don't, I don't think people are showing up for Zemeckis. I love, like, L-O-V-E-E-E-E, Robert Zemeckis, but I don't know. Also, you said more more misses than hits. I, I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I think he only has three flat-out misses, and we'll get to what those are. I, I think that's a little generous. I'm very yeah, mixed on it. It is generous, but I'm a big fan of this guy. Tyler, what do you think? I, I'm very mixed. I feel like I'm like riding the general consensus here where he has some high highs and some really low lows and then a lot of in between and basically six cents he has not reached that height since <laughs> but that's kind of what i'm getting at is like even though we all know Shyamalan's history at this point but has that ever dissuaded you from at least checking out one of his movies that's coming out yes really yeah, I mean, like, recently, yeah, like, old and knock at the cab, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go see, but, like, I, I didn't rush to see, like, uh, Glass. <laughs> you're Fair. not a fan of the Unbreakable I didn't, Universe. I wasn't going out to see After Earth. <laughs> that, right. I mean, that was ten years ago. That, that was in his real down period. I, I mean, 
he is one of the signature stellar blockbuster filmmakers of the last 20 years. Like when Sixth Sense came out, I think it was one of the highest grossing movies ever. You know, in the last several years, I want to talk about this. He's become someone to poke fun at, I would say. He's become the guy who makes the twist. And I think that's probably his largest reputation. I think that's a gross undervaluing of his abilities and everything he brings, not just to movies, but to storytelling. This whole discussion, at least for me, it comes from a place of love. I just want to note that now because I, I will be saying some some big critiques on his work, which are um, un you just can't avoid them, unfortunately. But he is such a humanistic filmmaker who works in genre frames, right? Which genre those are can be difficult to define. You know, it's he's he's always kind of like on the edge of certain genres. Right? You can say thriller sometimes. He's horror adjacent, right? He has some very scary moments, but to, for him to say he's just made like a, a straight up horror, um, I don't know, like magical realist drama sometimes, whatever it is, he finds his way deep into the hearts of his characters in most cases. In some cases, he misses completely, unfortunately. He is as interested in the dynamics between people as he is in whatever phenomenon is driving the plot of the narrative. Loves, loves Philadelphia and yes. Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania. <laughs> he is from Penn Valley, which is a suburb of Philly. And I love the specificity and his commitment to that. He has traversed all of Pennsylvania. He always shoots there. And I really love that. I really like the commitment to that location. Also, like you guys mentioned, a creator of significant highs and lows. He's been at the, the very top of the movie world, right? At one time, he was the next Spielberg. Movie consciousness at the top of the box office. But he has had massive bombs and movies that are so misguided. And unfortunately, there was a stretch where he just had bomb after bomb after bomb. Every artist has highs and lows. And I, I do not think that they should be chided for that. You know, it, it just happens. But putting some of its projects side by side, you like you almost can't believe that it's the same person in certain cases. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about that as we move through his filmography. It's so weird because it's almost like he has an on off switch when it's on. He's so sharp and funny and gets down to what makes certain human beings tick and is able to get so many amazing performances from people like particularly children. I don't know many other directors that get so many great child performances, but he does. When his switch is off, it's like he's an alien who has observed humans from outer space and is writing an interpretation of what he sees. It like it baffles me so much. And when that happens, he gets absolutely terrible performances from some of his <laughs> and like from some very, very good actors. He's a guy obsessed with faith believing in something, believing that there is inherent goodness in the world. Even his most harrowing films often, most often come from a place of light. So it's so odd when he gets super dark, which he's done only a couple of times before. And we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about Knock at the Cabin. Loves to tell a flashback story in parts throughout the main narrative. I think he's been successful with that probably only once. And his Achilles heel is that he cannot stop himself from over explaining everything the mechanics the mythology of the stories the feelings of his characters he was able to avoid it going overboard in his first few films i would say but it has been his downfall including one big example that completely ruined a movie that i thought had a lot of potential and also he loves to act in his own movies i i, I love director cameos it was great 
Almost as good as the Sean Payton cameo in Home Team. <laughs> oh, God. Where he's wearing the worst wig that I've ever seen in my life. All right, so his first film is not The Sixth Sense, but it's a student feature, Praying with Anger, from 1992. He made this while he was still at NYU. He stars in it. It's about an American college student. He's doing an exchange program in his native India. Again, a lot of the themes are here, right? The DNA of his further movies are going to be in this. Faith, culture, family stuff. I don't believe it ever received a major release. It maybe played in like one theater in a coastal town. I'm not sure, but not a major release. And then his second feature was Wide Awake in 98. It's about a boy in Catholic school who searches for some form of God, some form of faith after the death of his grandfather. This was made in 95 and not released until 98. I believe it was a Miramax movie. And I think Harvey Weinstein had his hands like deep into this project and that was not a good experience for mr Shyamalan. no Big... i can't no <laughs> never mind okay yeah I, we're gonna move past that one yeah let's do that <laughs> so uh praying with anger you know it was just himself and i think he had a lot of favors and family input from that he gets a much bigger cast for wide awake right robert loja is in this rosie o'donnell dennis leary Made less than like $300,000 though. So again, not not a huge movie either. He wrote a couple of movies, right? Stuart Little. But then his next directorial project is The Sixth Sense from 1999, which is one of the best movie years ever. Wrote and directed. It is about a psychologist who, after a tragic run-in with a former patient, attempts to treat a boy who claims he can see the dead. It was an absolute smash success. Big hits, like so many profitable weekends, one after the other, a pattern that just like we don't rarely see anymore. And it's just like a cultural phenomenon. This movie is synonymous with a twist ending 20 plus years later. And it was, this was nominated for six Oscars. Best director and original screenplay for him. Best picture, The Sixth Sense, supporting actor, supporting actress, and editing. David Vogel, who worked for Disney at the time, paid $3 million for the script, and then was fired from Disney. So I, I don't know if there was something else going on there, but made a great decision and then was fired. Uh, what do you guys think about The Sixth Sense? So it's nuts to me that like this movie was so early in M. Night Shyamalan's career. This movie is by far his best film. And like I, I, my only wish with this movie is that I didn't know the twist because it was long spoil. It's long become a thing of pop culture. Yeah, let, we're movie. not gonna say it. Yeah, we're not. I'm not gonna say it, but it, it it's known. So I kind of wish I didn't know that, but it's still so good. And I'm shocked. Like this is the door. I'm looking at his, his filmography right now, and this and the next three movies are so good. You, you can see the cracks in the in the the third movie from here, but. Like, there's such good movies, and I'm just, like, shocked at where he's gone from here. This this was the peak, and he has not even come close since. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm trying to, I'm looking over the list now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Are you a Sixth Sense fan, Matt? Yeah, it's good. Um, I mean... One of the pitfalls of movies with twist endings is if you know the twist before you watch it for the first time, it, I feel like it kind of... it For this one, it doesn't fully take away from the experience, but it it kind of does to some degree. Like, that's... 
I had that problem with Citizen Kane too. Like knowing the twist ending just didn't it kind of took away from the experience. <laughs> That's like a me. conversation like, for like a completely <laughs> different day. That's the only example I could come up with, but, but you, you, go ahead. Oh no, if you were going. Um I was just gonna say, like, I feel like he took the wrong lessons from this and was like, People love the twist. It wasn't yeah. just the twist. That was what was engaging. The twist was kind of added on, but you don't need to, like, lean into the twist. And I feel like audiences kind of leaned into it, too. So, like, it was kind of an at fault. But, like, I feel like he's ruined some good movies by leaning into this. I need to have a twist. He really has. And it's unfortunate because, you know, Sixth Sense. Twist, 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 Every conversation I've ever had. And it's a super huge part of it. You cannot deny it. But watching it recently... I was like, the twist isn't really that necessary for the movie to work. You do need it for like some prior story elements that they set up. But without it, this is just a touching story about a few people who are trying to recover and find some kind of normalcy that may or may no longer exist. There's a real mystical quality to this movie that I haven't seen in many others. It shares something with most of his other films in that it is dripping with sincerity. He adds some humor and some horror to it, but he takes the reality of the movie so seriously and it shows in the result, right? This movie is very touching. It's very creepy. You almost, I don't know, maybe I'm going too far, but you almost feel cold watching this movie. There's like, there's an iciness to it. It's so well constructed. It's a classic, of course, watch it twice movie. And once you do, all the story elements are tight. You can nitpick certain things about it, especially once you know what they had to do to like keep things consistent with the the thing that you learn at the end of the movie. But Shyamalan has already written off a lot of the nitpicks in the mythology of of what the boy is seeing. So many well-conceived scenes, like Dr. Malcolm and Cole's second meeting where they play like the stepping game, right? Step forward if the answer is yes to this or if I predict a good thing, I predict a true thing about you. Really clever dialogue blocking. Haley Joel Osment is like, he's like a revelation in this. This is like child performance hall of fame here. So convincing as a kid who has a burden beyond his years and like even beyond normal adult years, but like is still very juvenile. Tony Collette, awesome as a single mother who loves her son, has no support, but doesn't know how to deal with her son's issue when she doesn't even know what it is. And Olivia Williams, who plays Bruce Willis's wife, really great as a grieving woman. She has a particularly hard challenge because she can't acknowledge Bruce Willis, the actor, in any scene but the first. I thought she did a great job. Bruce Willis, I think he gives a great performance by omission in which he is really subduing it and is great with the tone of the movie. I guess he was cast as Dr. Crow, Dr. Malcolm Crow, to compensate Disney for a catastrophe of a movie Willis was supposed to star in the year before. And I think this was part of like a three-picture deal. So if it wasn't for that, he may not have been in this movie um, and the world would have turned out differently. A little tidbit for you guys. Michael Sarah auditioned for Haley Joel Osment's role. <laughs> really? What a different universe that is. So if it wasn't Bruce Willis, would it have been Liam Neeson, you think? That I don't know. All right, we are going to move next to Unbreakable in 2000. This is about David Dunn, also played by Bruce Willis. He's a security guard, husband, and father who discovers he has superhuman powers, most notably physical invincibility. He meets a comic book collector, played by Samuel L. Jackson, whose bones are brittle, 
but whose mind is powerful. So the story of Unbreakable was the first part of what was supposed to be a superhero saga, but the origin story got so large when Shyamalan was writing it that he just turned it into this first movie. I like this movie. I think it's very good. It maintains the tone from The Sixth Sense, if even like a little bit more dour and kind of noirish. The marketers wanted to advertise it just like The Sixth Sense, but Shyamalan wanted it marketed as a superhero movie, which is what it is. Maybe unrecognizable as far as like our current understanding of what a superhero movie is. Um, it's just that it isn't what we think of superhero tone. And I think that's because, well, let me say this. I like this movie as a different kind of superhero movie because it's about a man trying to deny and then having to reluctantly embrace what is incredible about him while the opposite man is rejecting his physical reality and is making the world of his own fantasy. Like, wonderful foils in this movie. Great writing on that part. Are you guys fans of Unbreakable? I like Unbreakable. I unfortunately saw it much later than it was released because I didn't see it until I saw Split, which I saw several years after that was released. So oh. probably like 19 years after it originally released, I finally saw it. And I enjoyed it. I think it was very ahead of its time because, you know, obviously the superhero genre exploded in recent years. So, you know, it was kind of cool to see this kind of grounded, more realistic show. And that's kind of what, like, everything's kind of headed towards now, like with the boys and everything kind of taking that like what if superheroes were real and just in our society and like how would our society react i think that was way before any of this kind of happened I'm, i was just kind of shocked to see it 100 percent, i agree yeah it's another movie where bruce willis has a meaningful relationship with a kid spencer treat clark plays his son <laughs> so creepy well i'm just <laughs> that's what it is is after talking about weinstein having his hands all over the movie <laughs> it's his, oh no i'm just saying it's his patient and one it's his son and the other all right uh spencer treat clark plays his son right he believes in his dad a lot and in his abilities and there's some great scenes that are a tug of war between their intentions where David doesn't doesn't want to acknowledge what he is, but his son does. Very disturbing opening birth scene of Mr. Glass. Some great photography by Eduardo Serra. Uh, it's really good movie. Excuse me. Also a different kind of superhero movie because once David accepts what he has to do, he has a, <laughs> he has a very tough time actually stopping any crime. He's not He's not inept, but he's... Just kind of like the most regular a man can get when he is physically invincible, right? He's he is a a step down from Wolverine in terms of intensity. Yeah. Next is Signs in two thousand and two. This is about a former pastor who lives with his two young children and his ex baseball player brother, and they find crop circles in their cornfield and suspect it is the result of aliens from outer space. I think this movie is nearly perfect. I love it. I, this is I my favorite. It's it's so good, isn't it? This is it my is. favorite that he ever did. It's the perfect blend. It's his best blend of drama, thriller, and funny moments. And it's the film of his that moves me the most. It's also the one that hits hardest about faith, which is one of his favorite topics. Now, here the main character is a former pastor. So 
for him, it is about faith in God. But I think beyond that, if you want to do a different reading and you're not into that, that's cool. There's internal conflict just about faith in the inherent goodness of the world, right? And about, you know, there's the couch scene where Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix talk about believing that some force in the universe is looking out for you and like has your best interest at heart and how hard it is, how hard it is both to believe in that and how hard it is not to believe in that. And it's, it's really difficult either way. Um, as he often does, Shyamalan opens with super creepy. He loves to do this in all his movies. Opens with super creepy music. The flattened corn looks so good. I'll shut up for a second. Tyler, what do you think about Signs? So, I first of all, the performances, like you mentioned before, when he gets like the good performances out of an actor, he absolutely does here. I mean, I always think of Joaquin Phoenix with the the tinfoil hat and yeah. <laughs> like that always sticks with me. But I mean, even like Rory Culkin, Abigail Breslin, child actors, like you mentioned, they're phenomenal in this. Uh, he he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, <But> he <laughs> very problematic figure. I think he's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, he is fantastic. And just like the tension that builds and you just kind of you're sucked into the story. And this is something I feel like he's lost since then and more like focused on the twist. You just want to like you're just living the moment with them. You're just kind of as clueless as them. So you're kind of following along with it. And like he just doesn't have that anymore. M. Night Shyamalan, I'm saying like he just doesn't get that anymore. And I kind of don't like that. Maybe it's been too long since I've seen this, but I I kind of think this is where he started to fall off, at least in regards to the the ham-fisted twists and not that just don't make sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, the com- I, I mean, the common like gripe is, you know, why would they invade a planet that's seventy percent water if that's their weakness? I get it, and yeah, it is. It's a little contrived. I just don't care because that's like at most 2% of the movie. Yeah. Like the other 98% I think is is phenomenal. But again, so, it could it could be just cuz it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, it's so it's a funny thing you mentioned about the aliens in the movie. Whatever effects they were using in 2002 were not right for the alien, and it feels like they knew that as they were making it <laughs> because, you know, it's partly a like the shark and jaws thing where you rarely get a look at the aliens head on except when it really counts right especially in that one new scene where it's at the birthday party in excuse me in, a, in another country that scene is so good joaquin is so good in that but even then like the creature is seen on home video so so it's supposed to be crappy quality um but like when you when you see the alien it's like oh good thing they didn't show more of this this, yeah, this looks exactly. terrible yeah it was no aliens night that's for sure no no it was not <laughs> i guess the mel gibson role was offered to both paul newman and clint eastwood that could be just a total lie that i read and was nonsense but something that i read cherry jones is also very good in this Merritt weaver one of my favorite actresses has one great scene in this where she's confessing to mel that she's like been swearing a bunch she's fantastic in that this is his most effective use of the extended flashback cut into parts where we go back several times to the day when mel gibson's wife dies and he has to go talk to her one last time so many great scenes the couch scene is fantastic 
and the dinner scene where they all get to eat their favorite food it it gets me every time i can watch it five dozen times and it's going to get me every time that is the best i love signs and i would say again signs was very much a crowd pleaser right it was six cents everybody loved it unbreakable wasn't derided by any means but i think the response was a little more muted because it was not like this exciting thriller that people came to expect and then science he was kind of back at it with really crowd-pleasing family drama slash alien movie all right next is the village in 2004 this is about the residents of a 19th century remote village near the wilderness who live in fear of murderous creatures that come out of the woods uh, Tyler, what do you think about The Village? So The Village is where I think Shyamalan's career as the twist guy really just went off the deep end. The twist ruined this movie for me. I was on board for this movie, and I hated the twist, and I think the twist was just the undoing of this movie. Like Once the twist came out, I'm like, oh, that's stupid. And I feel that way about a lot of his movies. <laughs> it's funny. So this script was leaked online a year before it premiered. And then the ending was changed somewhat after that. Combine that with the fact that, you're right, there was this expectation of him being the twist guy, which I, I think was detrimental to his career. I like this movie a lot, a lot. I think all the beginning stuff with the people in the village, the fear of the creatures, the various relationships going on, is some of the best stuff he's ever done. Bryce Dallas Howard, outstanding in this. I'm watching her all day. She is such a wonderful presence. There's some some command that she has on the screen in this that I'm captivated by. Joaquin Phoenix, also very good in this, very different from his science character. The village itself is so beautifully constructed. It was built in one giant field in Pennsylvania. And the creatures in this are genuinely terrifying. Uh, I wish... Well, I won't, I won't say anymore. Never, never mind with that point. <laughs> Maybe a talk for another day. The movie, I would say, is both helped and tainted by the ending. Without saying what it is, I think it both interestingly complicates the story we've been experiencing and undermines it. It's like what I said about The Sixth Sense, but to a detrimental degree, where the rest of the story is great without needing that final little thing. I wonder, like you said, if it would have had this crazy turn if he had made this movie earlier than The Sixth Sense, right? If this had come out before and there wasn't this expectation, would this have happened? I don't know. But I, I still really, really like this movie. I enjoy it a lot. Okay, so after The Village, right? And The Village was, you know, people were kind of annoyed by The Village. The ending was certainly divisive. And then it, it unfortunately only gets worse with Lady in the Water in 2006. The superintendent, this is about the superintendent of a Philly apartment complex that doesn't seem like it's in Philly, but it is. How He houses a water narf while she's visiting Earth to save the human race. This is where it went downhill for M. Night. Executives, so he had made his really successful movies with Disney and their various subsidiaries. Executives at Disney didn't understand his idea for this. He was mad that they didn't. They're like, hey, we'll fund it anyway. We, You're our guy. You've made us a bunch of money. We like you. We're going to do it anyway. And he said no. He shopped it around, landed at Warner Brothers. And this was completely critically panned. Most of that has to do with the quality of the movie, for sure. 
I think some of it has to do with the fact that this isn't much of a thriller, right? Again, not the expectation that's been set by him. It's really a fairy tale story and it bombed big time. But you know what? I'm zagging with this one. I like this movie quite a bit. There are some terrible elements to it, terrible, and it gives into those elements, unfortunately, but the good stuff is really good. I very much like the construction of the movie and that it's a bunch of people living in close proximity who have to come together, gather their various talents to help in a supernatural circumstance. Paul Giamatti is excellent in this, and in a better movie, this performance could have been really incredible. Bryce Dallas Howard is great. Again, I wish her and Shyamalan would work together again. It hasn't happened yet. I'm going to I'm gonna ask, have, have either of you guys seen Lady in the Water? I did not see Lady I in the Water. I did not think so. I have no so. desire to. I remember seeing the trailer for Lady in the Water way back I when. I didn't think so, but um, I, I don't think you guys would like it, but I liked it. So that's one thing I want to add um, about M. Night Shyamalan. Is he, he definitely seems to be one of these directors where... He keeps bringing similar talent back, like like he has his sort of rotating group of actors that he seems to like to work with, much like a Wes Anderson almost. Maybe not quite to the same degree, but... He never brought back Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but he brought back that. Rupert Grint, so... He did from uh, from Servant, the TV show. So the huge issue with Lady in the Water is that it has a decent first half, at least I think it does, and then it runs out of story, and it is the biggest victim of Shyamalan's bad instinct to explain everything. So there, there are also a couple of things that don't age well about this movie, particularly a character who, two characters actually, who only exist to make up the mythology of the water narf and like the the gra- the snarf. No, not the snarf. <laughs> the narf. I'm not, I'm not going to look up the name, but the grass dog. Uh. Like, it just makes up the mythology as it goes along. There will literally be scene, like multiple scenes, not just one, where the character will call up Paul Giamatti and be like, oh yeah, and one other thing about the narfs is that blah, 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 blah. And there are multiple scenes, and you're like, this is just poorly constructed writing, unfortunately. It's really like an old fantasy video game, and like in the worst way, it completely implodes as it goes along. I admire the bones of it, and I really wish this movie could be redone because the things I like, I like a lot. There's also an M. Night aspect, meta aspect to this that I think pissed a lot of people off. In that, So, Story is the name of Bryce Dallas Howard's character, is sent to this apartment complex so that she can talk to an, auth- an author whose book is going to change the world, right? So, a writer whose stories are going to change the world. And who do you guys think that Shyamalan cast for that role of the influential writer? (laughs) Take a guess. Oh, geez. I wonder who. Say it. Was it him? It was him. It was him. So (laughs) casting himself as this this writer who's... (laughs) It's... It's like gonna be after his death, a kid is gonna find the book, and like that kid's gonna become a world changing leader. And it's like, uh, I didn't mind it, but I can see a lot of people being like, all right, enough. Like, you're too deep into this now. Yeah, th- this movie just doesn't all fit together, and he should have known it from the start. He- he's a really super smart guy, incredibly talented. 
but this this is one that's like you should know from the beginning that this was this was not completely cooked. Next is the happening. So Woo! yeah, Lady in the Water, <laughs> a total failure. And now the happening, it's about an airborne toxin that causes infected individuals to commit suicide. A teacher, I'm using quotes here, a teacher and his wife try to find refuge and not kill themselves. So Shyamalan has stated that he was trying to make a B-movie with this and that it was meant as kind of a farce. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know that. About that. I love that sure, so much. Sure, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this... Well, you you guys take the floor first. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is probably the worst performances I've ever seen anyone act. Like, everyone in this movie is on a different page for what this movie is supposed to be. What? No. No. (laughs) Yes, that scene alone encapsulates this whole movie. When he's... This old lady is being, like, confronted by Mark... Not even confronted by Mark Wahlberg, but, like, they're just having a conversation because, like, they're looking at shelter and she's like, You are gonna kill me in my sleep! And Mark Wahlberg's like, what? No. (laughs) Like, no one was told they were supposed to be acting in this movie. It's just like, I don't know. Just do whatever you want. It's so bad. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm sorry. Just just the entire plot is the stupidest thing. The walking backwards and then committing suicide looks goofy as hell. Yeah, this movie's quite bad. This is the first time that... I think the switch flipped and he wrote dialogue like he'd never met a human being before. It's so <laughs> stunted. It's such a weird approximation of what people say to each other. You can have your own dialogue style. I'm not saying all dialogue has to be naturalistic. In fact, I think that would be bad for movies. But it has to work for the movie and this doesn't. It's like he took his own formula and took out all the compelling human elements. He struggled to get studios interested in the script. And listen, I think it's a decent idea. I would like to see a better movie version of this. And up to this point, interestingly, it was his goriest movie. It was his first rated R feature. He'd always been able to succeed like, and really scare audiences with mood and well-placed scares, creeping people out. But it, it just doesn't work here. Beautiful photography, though, by Tak Fujimoto, who is like... A legendary DP. He also shot The Sixth Sense and Signs, but the rest of this movie is comically bad. Wahlberg is awful as a awful. science teacher. He, he sounds like he's assaulting his students when he's talking about the news. He's like, guys, the bees are disappearing. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Like, I don't, that's no, no. That's <laughs> I, I not just how love it's the, done. I just love that Shyamalan had the brass to say that this was intentional. To clean yeah. that. I, I, you know, could you imagine if every director that made <laughs> a flop just went and be like, bad. oh, I was going to for a bad movie. That's well, what I wanted to do. I would say in the last five to seven years, that's all we've been seeing. It's like, oh, the studio interfere. And again, I'm not like making fun, but I feel like we've heard that a lot. <laughs> it was ironic the whole time. The movie was supposed to be bad. Yeah. Uh, Wahlberg has said that this movie is terrible. Zoe Deschanel is probably worse than he is, and I'm not trying to pick on her. I think she's a wonderful performer. Her character is awful, and the, the, she just didn't didn't raise the material. Unfortunately, neither of them have anything good to work with, so their their relationship is on the rocks. She had a dessert affair with a guy she knows. They just they went out one evening and had tiramisu, 
and that's like cheating and he's like upset and he's trying to make her and like rant again while they're in the middle of a field where they might get infected with an airborne toxin and might kill themselves he's like trying to make her jealous when he's like I went to the pharmacy and there was a really good looking pharmacist there and apparently this pharmacist was so good looking that he had to buy like six dollar cough medicine like like I, well, what <laughs> is this I, I don't oh my lord it's remind terrible me, remind me of something though the guy that she had the affair with was his name Giuseppe it was not Giuseppe Giuseppe is, is <laughs> coming up I got another uh, cup for you was the guy she had an affair with a sailor <laughs> no, 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 no. Is he no. ready to throw everything away? <laughs> it was. It was not. Uh, this is not eyes wide shut. Can't wait to talk about that one one day. So, Wahlberg, they they find a house that has people in it. They're trying to get inside, and he's knocking on the door. He's like, "Listen, we're regular great people." And then out of nowhere, he starts singing a couple of lines from Black Water. <laughs> Like, what person is inside is going to be like, oh, he's a doobie brother? All right, let's let's let this guy in. Is he a fellow doobie? Yeah. And so Betty Betty Buckley, who plays, I don't remember the character's name, but the woman, the single woman in the house, I love her. She gives one of my favorite movie music performances ever in Tender Mercies is bad in this movie and that is not an insult to her that is an insult to the material it, it again it's in the script because she's very very good later in split which is a better movie and she you know she has to say things like Wahlberg just walks up to her she's like why are you eyeing my lemon drink and what what is going on now, if he was really making a B movie, he succeeded, right? You have John Leguizamo, who I think is like decent in this movie, <laughs> when he's like, solve the math problem, ignore all the people who are killing themselves, and solve the math problem. It's the movie just doesn't work, unfortunately, and then it just has the laziest ending ever. I'm not going to say what it is, but if you haven't seen The Happening and you've ever seen any horror movie ever, you you can predict the ending. All right, so that is a, a down period. And unfortunately, guys, it's going to get even worse because in 2010, he has The Last Airbender. This is based on the very excellent television show about element benders, water, earth, fire, air. The Fire Nation is taking over the other nations. It's up to the Chosen One, the Avatar, a reincarnated spirit who can bend every element to stop the Fire Nation and restore peace. This movie is quite bad, and what is frustrating about it is that they took a long-form show which really took its time to build the world develop characters and relationships, have great bottle episodes, and they just shoved it into a feature film. And it's not even that long of a film. Shyamalan, you know, very famous short films. And for most of his movies, that really works. It does not here. You're trying to cram like a whole season of a show into this less than two hour movie. It suffers from his worst tendency, which is over explaining everything instead of just letting the story flow, which is what happens again, when you're trying to cram this much mythology into this tight of a package. I don't know why he was the person to make this movie. Some of the visual stuff is all right. The acting is is not very good, unfortunately, though it does have Cliff Curtis as the Fire Lord, which I love because I'm a big Cliff Curtis fan. you guys have any thoughts on The Last uh, Airbender? 
I mean, it's a bad movie. Everything that's been said about this movie is true. It's it's atrocious. But it just kind of brings up a point with me. Like, why are you trying to condense a TV show into a live-action movie? Why? And, like, Netflix now is doing that. Where they're like, they're like well, remember that show you liked? Well, we're making a live-action. Why? It's already a show. It doesn't need a live-action version. It can exist on its own. It's yeah. not like there's people that are like, I want to know the story, but I hate animation, so I wish there was a live-action version. The people who are going to watch this are fans of the original animation who are going to be the most angered by it. So I don't understand it. Avatar was such a great show. So that was. was not a success. They never made another one, thankfully. No yeah. one had to sit through that. 2013 brings After Earth. This is a, about a father and son on a post-apocalyptic Earth. The son must go on a journey to find supplies for his injured father. Apparently, Will Smith had this idea based on the show, I Shouldn't Be Alive, you know, where like people, hikers, get into crazy situations and they almost die, but they don't. And he took the real story and set it a thousand years in the future. Now, this conception, not terrible. It's futuristic sci-fi has been Will Smith's bread and butter for basically his whole career. And apparently, again, I read this, it may not be true. Will Smith called Shyamalan to, one, wish him happy birthday, and two, ask him if he would direct the film. Sounds like a real backhanded <laughs> happy birthday. He's like, happy birthday to you. All right, direct the film, please. Like, <laughs> All right, I have a film. Can you do it for me, please? I said happy birthday. <laughs> this movie is really dour and boring. The setting is generic. It's, it's like really uncool sci-fi with nothing that great in it. The one bright spot is when Jaden Smith soars down the waterfall. Will Smith isn't bad in this, but he's not great. Him and Jaden are doing odd accents for much of it. I, I don't know why that, they're that doing that. That could describe it. most of Will Smith's like post twenty ten career. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's done he's done some good stuff. Stuff we covered on our Will Smith episode. He called it the most painful failure of his career. And this was also Really, the, is it? Yeah. Is that the most painful failure of his career? That, Will Smith there's, or M. Night? There's not one Will Smith. <laughs> oh. I think it's it not was... one more, maybe assault on stage. Oh, <laughs> oh well, yeah. he said this before he did that. <laughs> well, I think it was Wild Wild West before he made After Earth. Then it was After Earth. And I don't know. He might put the slap at number three. I, I feel like he should have given an apology where it's like, I feel worse than I did after making After Earth. <laughs> like, wow, he's really sorry. <laughs> I will say this movie is a testament to Zoe Kravitz's screen presence because she kind of holds her own when she's given zero material. So good on her. Also, part of the premise is that there are these alien monsters that detect you by smelling your fear, but Will Smith doesn't have any fear, and that's what's special about his character. And when you don't have fear for them to smell, it's they say, this is known as ghosting, which <laughs> didn't... Didn't age two days. Didn't age two days. <laughs> the franchise plans for this were insane. It didn't happen. So this is... Wait, is that is that take on another meaning? Because someone told me the other day they were ghosted. And I'm like, oh, good. You, you don't, you're not fearing. Yeah, they're not You fearing. have no fear. You're a brave There's person. There's no fear. That's good. I'm glad you were ghosted. <laughs> yeah, it's... So this... This was Shyamalan's nadir. And for reference for what I said before, I think those are his three big failures. The Happening, The Last Airbender, and 
After Earth. I can defend pretty much every one of his other films in some way. They're not all great. I would say a couple are not even that good. But I think those are like the three big failures. Because next we get a bit of a comeback with The Visit in 2015. It's like kind of kind of found footage-ish. It's about two teens who go to visit their estranged grandparents. But when the sun goes down, their grandparents act very strangely. Shyamalan borrowed $5 million against his own home. So this is kind of starting the period of himself financing things. Kind of based it on sundowning, which is perhaps a symptom with dementia of um kind of that getting worse at night it is obviously it's incredibly exaggerated for the film and it is you know one of the biggest recent examples along with another of like his tendency of using mental illness as a plot device which has been kind of been met with some divisiveness it is not just him. This has pretty much been used throughout all of storytelling history as mental illness as sort of a villainous thing. And it's it's unfortunate, but he, you know, he's he's done it a couple of times. He apparently had trouble getting a consistent tone when he was editing. It was thriller, then comedy, then in between, right? And I, I think he does this to an exaggerated degree enough where he's not actually trying to portray any sort of like real thing here. This movie is, it's a weird mix. I don't really love it. It's a good one-time watch. You don't really know whether to laugh or be creeped out, which I think sometimes works for the movie. And sometimes I'm just like, eh, it's much more gross out than most of his other movies dealing with a lot of like old people stuff. It, it's all right. It's a, it's a small step back up to where he was. And it has, uh, Ed Oxenbold, who's a young actor that I'm very, very much love. So I, I think this is good. Not great. You guys like The Visit? Never saw it. Never saw it. Yeah, it's it's all right. Split in 2017, I'd say a Let's bigger go. step up. This is about a man with multiple personalities who kidnaps young women while a rogue group of his many personalities wait for a superhuman personality to emerge and kind of lead them to exaltation. So this was a character that Shyamalan had originally written for Unbreakable to be a villain for David Dunn. Knight also self-funded this one. It was a big hit. Cost less than $10 million, made over $275 million. This is a, a really effective thriller that... I, I can barely stand to watch because I think it is so disturbing. In fact, I didn't see this in the theaters. I first watched it on TV. And when I first watched it, there came a part where I was like so disturbed to my core. I had to shut it off and I couldn't go back for a while. What do you guys think of Split? I think it's one of his best movies, honestly. Uh, I thought James McAvoy was just fantastic with the multiple personalities and in the way he portrayed each one, he, you could tell he was going all in for it. It's got Anya Taylor joy. I, I will rave about almost anything she's in. She was very good in this. She was, I think this is easily Shaman's darkest and most harrowing movie. James yeah, McAvoy it, is insanely good in this. The way he transitions between the personas is very impressive. He's giving several great performances in a role that could have completely gone off the rails so easily. I don't think it does. Like you said, Anya Taylor-Joy is good in this. Betty Buckley is awesome in this. And early Haley Lou Richardson here. It's very frightening. Again, it's it's using a mental exceptionality as something villainous. 
And again, he does it to a ridiculous degree, but where you where you kind of fall on that line of is it appropriate or not, I think is an interesting discussion. This one loses me a bit by the end. I don't love the ending to it. I kind of love what it leads to, but I don't love the ending itself. But that's okay. I, it, it's a very effective movie. It's kind of like, oh, he, he's back to doing what he does best. Cause then in 2019, we get Glass. This is combining Split and Unbreakable. David Dunn, Mr. Glass, and Kevin, who is McAvoy's character, are taken into a facility by Sarah Paulson for people who think they're superhuman. I love Sarah Paulson in this movie, just a side note. I think this movie is not great, and it's a bit too long, but it has interesting bones. Part of the big problem is that it takes two movies with deadly serious tones and tries to make it into kind of like an action comedy, and I, I don't think that totally worked. The story has some glimmer of ideas about what heroism is and what it means to be an exceptional human and other kinds of things. They never like completely come together narratively, unfortunately. I won't belabor about that one. Move on to Old. We've already mentioned Old, I would say, many times on the show. This is just from 2021. It's about a few families. They get trapped on a beach that rapidly ages them, and they, they can't escape, and they might die on the beach. Matt, what do you think of Old? Well... In the words of uh, of a scholar named Tyler Sutkus, uh, "Old was the best comedy movie of 2021." Yes, absolutely. You Just, know, oh, I'm sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. So unintentionally hilarious. I laughed more at this movie than I think most movies <laughs> in theaters that are genuine comedies. Not as much as 80 for Brady, though. It's true. I was cracking up during 80 for Brady. Like my sides I, were split, <laughs> but like, but for for real though, like, I don't know what the intention of this movie was, but I had a freaking blast watching it. Both times I've seen it, uh, the dialogue is so stunning. It it like you said earlier, it's almost like he's an alien trying to use Google Translate to write this script. It's it it just the performances are so weird. The dialogue is just goofy. It's over the top. It's just it's just it over explaining. It just makes no sense. And then they it just I, I there's just so much to say about this movie that's not. It may it might sound like we're criticizing it, but it it, it like goes so unintentionally off the rails that it's still entertaining. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend it a little bit. I think it's an effective thriller. He makes a lot of great moves in here, both in a visual and storytelling sense. You're absolutely right. Some of the dialogue is is really bad and He's just, dead. How can that be? He was only just alive. He was alive. only just alive. Or like even like normal things like Vicky Crepe saying, It makes me feel not seen and you're like okay, all right. What about what about he's a joker, he's a pretend he's a person. person. He's a pretend person, yeah. But I do think there's a great family story here. Right? We have all these different kind of dynamics. There's a sick parent in the middle of a separation, right? It's a bit of him returning to core humanistic things that made him so great in the first place. So I do think there are some good character dynamics here. I still don't know why mid-sized sedan was on the beach early or like why he didn't age faster. I don't... Yeah, that made no sense. Uh, much of this movie didn't make sense. Like the whole metal tube thing and the coral and... 
I don't know why his name was Jaren. Yeah, it's Jaren. He's captain the, of the swim team, so he's gonna swim into these ten foot waves just to. Well, you know his his high school team practiced in a wave pool, so the whole Giuseppe monologue, like. Yeah, uh, I there's the a lot Giuseppe of gems one again. Movie. I I still kind of <laughs> I'm still digging through that one. There's too much explaining. Pretty good moneymaker. I would say he's still nowhere near his earlier films, but it's another step in the right direction. The the problem I have with this movie is it's all tell don't show. Like literally everything is just explained by either a character just guessing and you're just like, "Oh, okay, I guess that's why." Yeah. Or like they'll read a diary of another character just guessing, and I'm like, "What? Right. What is going That's... on? Why are all these people making these educated guesses?" Exactly. Like, there's not really any challenge to these obstacles that any of these characters are given, because they just figure it out two seconds later. Well, they can't leave the beach, so there we go. They keep us entertained at least with that. Also, I, I still don't know why that that young woman had to die. Like, I don't. <laughs> I guess to like show the skeleton. I'm like, oh my god, she deteriorated, but whatever. This is one of my favorite M Night cameos, though. It was, yeah. <laughs> just standing on the top of a hill, looking down, and then when they see him, just like hiding behind a thin bush. Well, it didn't matter. They were on the beach. <laughs> Wasn't gonna save them. All right, so we are we're gonna get to knock at the cabin, kind of like Matt said before. It's about. A close, loving family. They spend a quiet vacation at a remote forest cabin, are soon visited by four strangers who claim that they must make an impossible choice and sacrifice or else the world will end. So this was originally written by Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman based on the book The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. And I think Shyamalan wrote and did his own version of it. Apparently the fastest he's ever written in his career Matt, what'd you think I'm about shocked. Knock at the Cabin? <laughs> um, I objectively, I don't think there's really a lot that I didn't like. I I just feel like I kind of wanted more from it. Like even like the performances were all solid. I thought the writing was solid. I thought the the narrative. I was really interested by the narr- the uh, narrative and the the sort of premise of it. Um. But ultimately, which we'll get into this with spoilers, but my biggest gripe, I think, is just with, I guess, the twist. Like, I know Shyamalan's the twist guy, and I think he kind of breaks away from being just a twist guy with this. But my reaction, ultimately, to the the ending of this movie was, because there's really only, like, one or two, one of two ways that it could have gone. Like, and this isn't really a spoiler, but it's either real or it's not. Right, the whole apocalypse thing. So, like, when we get to the end, I, I was just like, "Oh, okay, so that's what it was. Cool." And then I moved on. I wasn't super blown away or surprised by what happened because I could feasibly see it going either way. If that makes sense, the way the way it was set up. Um, ultimately, really not bad, but I wasn't. I just feel like I kind of wanted more with a lot of the character development and like the flashbacks. Um, I feel like they could have, I feel like he could have made this longer and made me care about more of the characters. It might've had more effect on me, but, um, for what it was, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. They're all very good points. Tyler. 
So I, I, I gotta agree. I, I, this was a decent movie. I was relatively entertained throughout, I guess. I thought it did kind of plot along for most of it. Like, I was just kind of into it. But like you said, Matt, there was really only one of two ways this could have gone, whether they were telling the truth or they were lying. And that was really the only thing that kept this movie going. So, like, after see, this is one of those movies that, like, I would never return to because that's right. all that kept it going. Now that I know what the, the twist or the ending is, I would never go back to it because that was the only thing keeping it going. The performances were fine, but, like, nothing blew me away where I'm like, oh, that was incredible. I'd love to watch this again. Like, that was literally the only thing keeping me going through this movie and keeping me interested in this movie was, are they telling the truth or are they not? And I feel like there's so many red herrings that just feel so hollow because, like, they're put in just to throw yeah. you off. That, like, I was just like, oh, so, like, so much of this was kind of pointless. Not so much, but, like, there's several things that, like, they bring up that have no bearing on anything. So, I was just like, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like, they were trying too hard to lead you one way, I will say. <laughs> and it just, I, as much as it, like, at towards the end, it got kind of thrilling and I was kind of into it. And then I was just like, okay. But, like, through most of it, it's kind of plot along. They do, I'll explain more of this in spoilers, but there's a certain plot device that kind of takes out the, like, the menace from the villains. So, like, there's not, they're not very compelling villains because you already know, like, things they can't do. So yeah, it just kind of I agree. Felt, all felt hollow to me. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to say this is definitely one of the most movies I've ever seen this year. Um, it was like, if someone wanted me to give them an okay movie, like just sort of pretty much neutral, okay, it was okay. This is, this is a great example of that for me. I'm going to zag. Okay. This might be my favorite movie that he's made since the village. Really? It's not flawless by any means. And I'm not going to say I was captivated or that I didn't want a little more, but I think he's returned to what he's best at which is placing the story of a family at the core of a heightened drama entertainment piece. I had zero idea where this story was going. Yeah, you know, there's kind of like a fundamental, is this real, is this not? But I didn't know what was going to happen. And without saying too much, I think this is largely unlike anything else that he's ever done. And I had mixed feelings about that. Then pretty quickly was happy with what he did and what choices he made. I thought it was genuinely touching. I thought it was very well acted. And it's one of the ultimate what would you do movies with a lot of implications that I'm I'm still processing. No easy answers here. This movie is the anti-signs in that signs is about believing in a benevolent force that is looking out for you. And this movie is about having to come to grips with like an evil nastiness in, in the world and in many people's lives. It is one of the bleaker movies that he's ever made. It felt like when Steven Spielberg made War of the Worlds, right? They're often compared, but it makes sense in this case. Like people who are pretty light, even when they're working working in harrowing stories, but War of the Worlds is a very bleak movie. And this is, I would say, a very bleak movie. It also has just an incredible twist that isn't even forecasted in the middle of it. I wonder if you guys caught it. I can't wait to, to see if you did. Let's talk a little bit about it. So Kristen Quee as when I loved her. I thought she was great. Another great child performance that he got. I think she kind of like, she really knocks it out of the park in the beginning and then she kind of disappears yeah. towards yeah. the end, unfortunately. 
Um, so she she was a central character that got got shoved off a bit. So that was unfortunate. Jonathan Groff as Eric, one of her dads, Daddy Eric. I thought he was great. He's kind of the, you know, these four people show up. They say you have to sacrifice one of your family or the world's going to end. I would say he gets injured, so he gets a bit of a head injury. It's kind of like another adds to the mystery of like, is he in his right mind, that kind of thing. But he's more on the side of like, maybe this is real. Maybe we have to do this. Whereas... Ben Aldridge as Daddy Andrew, he is complete skeptic. No, I would let the world burn 12 times before I would ever sacrifice a member of my family. Thought both of them were very good. Ben Aldridge, also great. I finally saw, spoiler alert, the Jim Parsons, Michael Showalter movie. He's also great in that. That's just a side note. Let's talk about Dave Bautista as Leonard. He is sort of like the leader of these four people. He's the main messenger. Dave is having a huge moment. He's talking a lot about his acting career, where he wants it to go. This year is very big for him, right? He's going to have Guardians 3, which is, it's kind of coming full circle. I would say Drax was like his first big movie role. And now this is the closing of that Guardian saga. And Dune 2, he is going to be in. And this movie, I think, again, I would say not a lot of people thought it was the best movie ever. But it's an excellent step in the right direction for him. He's very good in this. He made a character. He made a distinct person. And he stuck with it. Also, side note, I guess he's very he's very insecure because he's like, no one's ever offered me a rom-com role. Am I that unattractive? <laughs> and I'm here to say, you're very good looking, Mr. Batista. Give, give him insecure. a rom-com right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think he was one of the best parts of this movie. They de- M. Night Shyamalan definitely took advantage of his size, like the, the cutting between him and like the yeah. sides of his head to show yeah. the characters over. I thought that was really well done. But also like just making him like this gentle giant was such a good idea of like he's a second grade. I'm uh, spoiling it now. But <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, you can, he's okay. a second grade so teacher. He's a second grade teacher and he's like so gentle with Wen and like you'd expect him to not be. So like it's just kind of this good... I feel like I'm getting into spoilers here because, like, I don't know what spoilers for this movie. <laughs> the spoiler is were they telling the truth or not? Yeah, so, so like, you have kind of, like, you expect him to be menacing, but, like, he's not. He's telling them. Like, he's being straight up with them. Like, we we can't harm you. We can't do anything to you. And I think that kind of made it, the, the villain seem less, like, villainous and that kind of felt off to me, but, like... I thought it worked well with him, like as him as this you know massive guy, just basically being like, you know, it's your choice. You can't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. I, the cinematography. There's he's so much filling up the frame with these people, and I, I really enjoyed it. It really got me. Nikki Amuka Bird as Sabrina. She was also in old. She's kind of like the healer of the bunch. I very much enjoy her presence. I thought she was very good in this. She has very much a pleading relationship, especially with Eric, about like trying to get him on her side. She genuinely, I would say, seemed the most sorry of the bunch that like this kind of thing had to be done. I think she's really great, and I can't wait to see her in more stuff. Abby Quinn, who I don't I don't think I had been exposed to before, 
plays Adrian, who's kind of like a young mother who's here. I I don't want to use this phrase because I don't want to put undue criticism. I thought she was probably the weak link because I thought her character was the weak link. Not the performance so much, but her character was like, eh, okay, whatever. Am I am I right or wrong in that? No, I kind of wish in in that retrospect that she was the first to go. Well, when she, well, I guess we spoiled that she went, but it's, uh, it's, it's so hard to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll we'll get to it in a second. The the so the only other couple of things I want to mention is Rupert Grint as as Redman here. Um, <laughs> I thought he was very good and. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about it from in a Medford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I he was good. So, should this movie have been rated R? I'm going to say no. No, because the only reason it was rated R was for the language. Right? There is some gnarly violence in this, but they cut away from it pretty yeah. much every time. This is only his second rated R feature after the happening, I believe. And so I'm like, I don't. Can't you rake in more money with this PG thirteen? Did know. they swear a lot? I don't remember that many swears. I would no, say maybe either. like ten times they said the F okay, word. Yeah. Kind I of like, know, like a, throughout. There was a child in the back of the theater I was in with his parents, so <laughs> Why well, it, it was it was a it was still a family friendly time, obviously. Um I the experiences I have just don't don't jive with your argument that parents always take their kids to appropriate movies. But yeah, I just, I don't know why this had to be rated R. I just feel like during filming, or at least, I don't know if they were in the script, but like while writing the script, either take out most of the F words or while filming, if somebody slips one out, you just say, hey, we're going to make this PG-13. You have to do it again, but you can't say that. Cause no, it, they just they just have to deep fake it out. Yeah, that's true. Like in fall, <laughs> it, it's just what it wasn't used at any pivotal time or anything. It wasn't. Like that. It's just no. and like the I rest like of the it, stuff is not edgy enough to justify R. No, I feel like it could have been more impactful if it, they got one F word and they used it and like an ed- I I don't even remember them saying it. Like it didn't phase me at all. No. And also like all the violence was cut away. That could have easily been PG thirteen. Yeah, really could have. Oh, well, we're going to get... So this is the official spoiler warning. We're going to talk about some plot details now. This thing starts right away, which I really appreciated. There's not a lot of preamble. It's just like it's when capturing, what, some grasshoppers, and then she is approached by a gigantic stranger at this remote cabin. Great way to start the movie. They get to know each other a little bit. (laughs) Here's a little bit of the writing that I was caught up on. So she she writes down she names the grasshoppers writes their names in a book and she names one after her friend Susie or whatever Caroline Car- was it Caroline it was yeah. Caroline because she right. spelled it horribly wrong <laughs> well this I'm gonna tell you it may have been the right spelling oh, okay there are, there are all kinds of spellings out there <laughs> um, and so she said yeah Caroline's really cool. But she farts in class and then pretends not to. And I just like, when you're right, I'm like, what? Is this a joke? Like, (laughs) and it distracted me. I was like thinking about it for the next couple. I was just, I'm picturing like in a classroom, teachers at the front. He's like, 
Alright, class. So, you had the Nina, the Pinta, and the... <laughs> Caroline, did you fart again in the middle of an important lecture? No, and I never did once. Okay, I believe you. Like, I it was just so... Like, why are you throwing that in the movie? It was so weird. So, it was definitely, like, there was definitely a Caroline spelled that way in M. Night, one of M. Night Shyamalan's class, and he was calling her out. And she's, like, at the <laughs> movies, and she's, like, what the fuck? Years later. <laughs> Wait, what the the, the only Caroline in the world whose name is spelt like that. Yeah. No, no, but, uh, she, again, again, there are all types of spellings, but take she, it from me. She, she definitely had, like, a, a <laughs> think you should leave moment. What the hell? <laughs> 11-year-old Shyamalan has to sit next to her. The twist was she actually did fart. You did, Caroline, you did. All right, we'll move on. So, Wen goes to the back of the house, warns her dads, and then there we have the sequence of the four people breaking into the house, which I thought was really good. Redman is is beat up. We we have like. Can, the... can I just say yes. one thing here? Can I, I am so glad like there wasn't a prolonged like. Oh, you know what are you talking about, honey? That's so goofy and all that. Like I thought they were trending towards that because yeah. she was given the disjointed like explanation. And I'm glad they just kind of brushed past that. Like well, they me. they did it a little bit. They weren't like, wait, who they the did. hell's at the cabin? They're like, oh, what? Yeah, let's yeah, check they it did out. a bit, but then they quickly changed. They didn't like make it like ah, you know, we're not gonna lock that door because you know you're seeing goofy things. I gotta say. <laughs> Even the little bit that they did was too much. Like this is, yeah. This is your daughter saying, like, hey, there's strangers here. And they're like, ah, oh, what? What are you saying? But so we have the the camera like following the fists of Eric, or not of Eric, of Andrew, <laughs> as he beats up Red. Eric is concussed. So the four people, the four well, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the four horsemen, they have these horrible, brutal weapons, like blunt force trauma weapons. Hang on, were, they're, they're tools. They're not weapons. Tools. They're tools. Were these necessary or were these just like visual flair? They weren't necessary at all. They did not need to be used at all. Like, they weren't even good visual flair. Yeah, it I I just seemed like it was I don't know if there's some inspiration somewhere that I don't know about, but it was almost just like when Andrew got the gun, I'm like, "All right, thank you. Just like just use a gun. Use a gun." I mean, that not not promoting that, but in in the reality of the movie. So, the explanation of the dilemma, I was intrigued, right? All these four people have all had similar visions of the same events. They've been chosen. They all had these vivid dreams. And then they turn on... So they turn on the TV. And what comes on the TV is M. Night Shyamalan promoting an air fryer like he's Emerald Lagasse. This was a much better cameo than old. Yeah, okay, fair. I'll give you that. I thought it was funny. It was nice. It was brief. right? And so when they fail to make the choice... They see that there are, like, massive earthquakes, but they started four hours ago. And, Tyler, I think this goes to what you said about there are a ton of, like, misleading clues that are meant to breed skepticism either way. 
There was a great blend of these people could definitely be crazy, but there's a slow build of believability as more things happen. I liked so Andrew, who's like the total skeptic, he is like throwing out all these psychological theories of like, oh, this is groupthink, this is this, this is that. And I, one of my readings of it was like, you know, especially in the modern age, we have all this terminology for stuff and all this, but like, at the end of the day, beyond all that stuff, like, the world is just so crazy. Like, you cannot contain it all in textbooks, in article, like, in diagnosable words, right? They're, like, the world is so varied, so infinitely crazy that it's ch tough to, like, pinpoint anything with this specific language. So I like that. They fail to make their first choice. Red has to die. So, like, Rupert Grint shows up in this very briefly. I thought he was good, but, like, this is a very brief role. Yeah, I think he deserves better. Not better, necessarily, but more. Because I thought he was good for what he did in this, but I think he hasn't quite broken out of the Harry Potter... Uh, the Harry Potter shadow, like Daniel I mean, Radcliffe you, and Emma Watson have. Have you watched Servant? No, I haven't, so I guess uh, maybe I'm wrong. I, I watched this movie in a city right next to Worcester, Mass., so my experience was then like, Ron Weasley's from Medford now. Ron Weasley's from Medford. <laughs> Leave him alone. He does other stuff. <laughs> With, like, the most generic Irish name ever. Yeah, right. Well, no, because his name, what was his real name? Roy O'Bannon. Oh, yeah. So the tsunami. He was just the pilot from plane. <laughs> yeah, Brody Torrance. So after they fail to make their choice, they don't choose to sacrifice one of their family members, which I also thought was a good thing. Like, I, like when you don't, even if you knew for sure, but these people don't even know for sure. Like, what what family would do that? But then a tsunami is shown on TV. Again, we don't know if it's a coincidence or not. In the video, there were, like, two people who were just walking along the shore until, like, the last second. Yeah, like, it was <laughs> yeah. above them. And, like, oh! <laughs> like, I just kept imagining, like, do you want to go to your parents or my parents for Thanksgiving? <laughs> also, I didn't understand that video because, like, they're, like, we're being sent one. Was that sent? Were they, like, in the middle of the wave sending yeah, and, it? Like, <laughs> who was filming that and just... <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That's How did it wondering. get to the news crew? I don't understand. It was a live. It was hey, a Facebook hey, live. There are it was cameras. A, it was a live. But also, like, I just want to go back, backstep a bit. Redmond's character made no sense to me. He was the in, most, of course, the red herring, the the most insane. Why did he fake his name? There was no explanation given. He didn't know the couple in the cabin was the one he previously assaulted. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. There's no reason other than to just be like, oh, whoops. Uh, so maybe that happened. perhaps he did it as like a fresh start because he acknowledges that he spent some time away. And so I don't know if it's well, like then, a little bit. Well, then again, thing. he was the embodiment of malice. So, maybe so why he did, did he know. change his name? Though? I don't know. I guess that, yeah, I guess that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But then why? Yeah, yeah. So why did Batista's character care or, you know, not want to check yeah. the wallet 
Yeah, and like it, it made him question it and stuff. It was, so like it was clearly just meant to be like, oh. And then when he checked the wallet, I thought it was gonna be like, oh no, his name is actually Redmond. But now it's like, oh, his name is this. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> so we do get a lot of flashbacks. Again, Shyamalan loves this technique where we get broken up flashbacks throughout the main narrative. You know, we get stuff like Eric meeting Andrew's parents and they are not accepted. Uh, picking up when when she was a baby and adopting her the boogie shoes that was cute as hell family doing a little, little car karaoke to boogie shoes i love casey and the sunshine band see this is the kind of stuff i kind of wanted more out of with this movie like i i feel like it would have been made us care more about the the home invaders i know that's a weird way for me to put it but like i would have been able to sympathize more with the well, I guess we already blew it. That's the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I would have been able to empathize with them more had we get got more backstory from them besides them just describing their situations. Yeah, well, I mean, fair. I think it was necessary to kind of be like, are they who they say they are? Like, did True. she have a kid? So True. that was kind of necessary. But I agree with you that it was. Yeah. Plus that, I think that would have been too long. Shyamalan really likes to keep these movies tight. Um, maybe not always to the best, but. And then, I like the moment where they arrive at the cabin and they jump off the dock into the water. And there's a great little moment where Andrew's jumped in, Wen's jumped in, and then Eric is going to jump in, but he's like, oh, uh, my phone, I got to take out my phone. And it's like, it's this thing that didn't exist until 20 years ago where you could just dump, <laughs> jump into somewhere and like nothing bad would happen. But now it's just like your life is over if you jump into water and your phone gets wet. <laughs> so, so he's got to so he's got to write that into the script. So it, I loved it because it was kind of like it's this thing that didn't exist before, and it almost like it didn't ruin the moment. But it's this little snag of like, oh, it's spontaneous family fun, and then it's like, oh, hang on, I gotta, I gotta put the phone away. All right, I don't know, we're back at it. So I, I did like that. It was a little cool moment, and then the fight in the bar. I don't know why they had to flash back to that since they already told us about it once, but they did. I, don't, I, I thought that could have been cut out. Well, it was to make us question whether or not it was actually Redmond, because, I think, because they didn't actually show his face the first time. Yeah, but I just believed Andrew. I just believed what he... Like, he could have just said it, and I would have believed yeah. it. Well, he could have... With all the therapy and trauma and stuff, he could have misremembered... I'm just thinking. I, will, I don't. I will say it, so. it was accurate. Last time I was in a bar in Boston, Ron Weasley smashed a bottle over my head. So <laughs> I don't know. That's just. I think that could have been what they were seeding. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah. So and then so Sabrina is like dressing Eric's wound, and she's asking him to like begging, like please believe us. Don't make this harder beautiful lighting on like her in the mirror i thought that was great and this is kind of like when he sees the figure in the mirror which again they kind of go to and i was like eh. again this was another element that could have been like you could have pushed that a little further or just taken it out so now it's time for the second choice where adrian the young mother like begs them she's like listen i I have a kid. I don't really want my kid to die. So unfortunately, one of you has to die. And again, they refuse. It's like at this point or at any point, what family would make the choice to sacrifice one of their own? But guys, guys, guys. So Adrian dies. 
And go with me here for a second, because this is where one of the best movie twists that I have seen ever comes in. So we know that Shyamalan loves Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. So when Adrian dies, could you guys believe it? When Rocky burst into the cabin and he went, Adrian! <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I was hooting and hollering. That was, what a twist. It was the best twist I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but after what actually happens, I did like the scene where Eric was cutting the ropes um, and then Andrew like kind of gets out of his and he fights with Leonard and Sabrina. I liked it when Andrew was going out to get the gun. I thought that was very well shot. Like the uh, That made me so angry. All right, so gun expert, go ahead. <laughs> Why not load one bullet into the mag, pop it in the gun, and shoot the person stabbing you in the leg? You know what? I have to admit I had that same thought. And I'm why not a resident gun expert. I, that, that was just me thinking, you know, like, what, why is he loading the whole thing? Also, if you're going to travel with a gun, why do you have the bullets separate from the magazine and still loaded with the gun? Just load the magazine at least. So I, that I actually thought as well. I'm like, I don't know why that's not already loaded. <laughs> it's to add drama is the answer. But <laughs> you're absolutely right. I did like it in the moment. I thought it was thrilling. Uh, the gets her to back up. They go back to the cabin. I also Sabrina. thought it was super goofy the way she just like ran away. Like, <laughs> why is, and also she runs back into the cabin like ah, why? He's got a gun with on no her. weapon or anything. Ah, he's he got a gun on her. All right, but then he... no, not even the run away. I mean the run back oh, into the oh, cabin. Oh, why oh, was okay. she like ah? <laughs> Scare him. Scare tactics. <laughs> so he shoots her, which is like them de facto refusing to make a choice again and this is where the plane crashes come in uh i have to say the some of the plane crashes looked okay some some looked not fantastic the scenes of the plane in the water look terrible i'm like that looks so bad it's so cgi but i got the point i got the point it pushed the story forward i thought it was a great moment where Leonard was standing in front of the TV and matching what the news reporter was saying. I thought that was pretty good because then th that's like a point of no return. It's like I, I, especially Andrew, with every fiber of his being, he doesn't want to believe this. But it's like, how could you not at this point? Then we get like the four horsemen. Re I don't. Is it a reveal? I don't know. I thought it was unnecessary, but I fine. thought it was where it was going from the beginning. <laughs> right, but again, at a certain point, it's like they're either telling the truth or it's something weird, like like the being the four horsemen. And for, at that point, I was like, "Oh, that's neat. That's clever." And then that was it for me. Yeah, I. I it didn't really do that much for me. No, it didn't for me either. I have to say it 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 was neutral. It didn't bother me, but it wasn't like, oh wow, great. It was like okay, whatever. Yeah. If you want to do that, that's fine. What what made me mad is that they like named the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and that's not at all what the four horsemen of the apocalypse are. Or like, it's like death, famine, and war, and like pestilence. I was right? gonna say, or what like the four was it like the four aspects of humanity? I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like there are more than that. <laughs> what was it? Guidance, healing, nurturing, malice. and malice. And yeah. I'm like, I Which, feel like, like what that's. <laughs> 
I feel like humans do more than that, but okay, whatever. Again, I, I went with it. Leonard's final plea, I thought Batista was acting his butt off on this. Yeah. He, he was he was really great in this, super subdued, but like the desperation was there, but he couldn't fully let it out. And then we have Eric, who wants to die for his daughter and for the rest of the world. Right, so he tells the story of like our daughter is gonna grow older. She's gonna get her own practice, and you're gonna be there with her. This is a nitpick, but they aged Andrew really poorly in, yeah. in that. Yeah, they, he's like the same age, <laughs> but with like salt and pepper. And you're like, <laughs> okay, like not one wrinkle. He's he's got some good moisturizer then. <laughs> I I also kind of thought that that was like too, like. too like good of an ending where like it made the sacrifice meaningless to me like it felt so hollow and so emotionless yeah it felt a little too idealistic like i feel like he was just saying that to get him to believe and do what he needed to do i don't know if he actually like i know they showed it to us but no i know I agree, but, like, it, it, the sacrifice felt so weightless to me. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, he, he caved too soon to shoot him. Like, I don't know. Like, if you think, like, could you really just shoot your loved one like that? Even if he just, like, was like, don't worry, it's good. I don't know. It felt, don't know. A, little, it felt a little empty. To, to, I guess, to try and rationalize it i i guess you could say that it, he's it's been kind of chipping away throughout the movie like I, I wouldn't say he just like flipped a switch i feel like it was kind of his his like i feel like his skepticism really was obviously getting chipped away throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. yeah but there's different between skepticism and i'm gonna shoot the love of my life like, to save the world <laughs> yeah I guess, yeah i guess i believed it in the moment Again, it's not a perfect movie, but I believed it enough. And again, it's like this horrible recognition. And there there are kind of deeper readings into that um, of like the happiness of others is like often dependent on the suffering of other people, which is just like a horrible, sad fact of the world and shouldn't be that way. So Eric dies. Andrew and Wen make it to like this roadside spot where they watch the news and then I'm going to ask you guys first, how did you feel about the second showing of Boogie Shoes? I feel like it went on a little too long. It did. Like, the turning on and off was ridiculous. It was... I understood what they were going for, but they could have just done it one less time. I I mean, it was the most obvious thing imaginable what they were going for. <laughs> I thought it was great. I loved it. I, I just... <laughs> I, I just think it lacked a lot of subtlety. <laughs> no, I'm fine. It was this like this conversation that's never finished of like, I think we have to move on. I don't know if we can move on. I think it's gonna we need to put something so that we can move forward. But can we move forward? This is tainted. But can we make it into something else? Like I, I thought it was really good without any dialogue. So I was a fan of that. They drive away and that is the end of the movie. No real like big twist or anything like that which i i really like this this part of the movie i was happy with it you know if they just made that decision earlier thousands of hundreds of thousands of people would have survived 
Yeah. Well, again, but know, they I blame them. They didn't believe it at I, first. I blame them. I blame them. I thought all that stuff was done very well. Again, so, not perfect, but done very well. So, I wonder if other people in this universe got visions but didn't go to the cabins, so they know that these guys were responsible. And they took too long to make the sacrifice. So could be he. He specifically mentions like maybe families before did do this in the past. Did they mention that in the movie? I remember that from the trailer. I don't remember them mentioning that in the movie, where um, like families in the past have done it before. I think they do. I don't, I don't remember, remember the them mentioning moment, it. But... I remember in the trailer, but I don't think they ever talked about it in the movie. And then like he talks about it, like they talked about it. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not super big into COVID productions, COVID this, but I think like if you combine, you know, COVID and then the decline of the environment and all the crazy stuff that's going on in this world, I think again that this story and that this ending is great, particularly the ending scene in the car. It's like if you think about COVID, the world was one way before it started, and then it happened, it was a total mess, and then when things kind of settled on the other side, Right, some people were gone. Some families were torn apart, and it's like, I like, how do we move on? Like, we made it through, but some people are gone. So I also liked so, it for that. I also was surprised that they, I, I, my prediction going into this movie is that they were gonna be a hundred percent believe this is real, this is crazy, and then the end was just gonna be like, oh, it was just some well timed stuff, bad stuff that's already happening in the world, like I. I feel like they kind of played that card sooner than expected in this movie, and I feel like that kind of deflated it a bit for me. You you are you saying you wished you believed for longer that it was just a coincidence? No, I wish that it like everybody had just fallen for it, or not fallen for it, but like that the, the pre, like all the characters were on the same page. Like this is real. And but I think just having one twist be like, oh, you know, it, it's not real. It's just a bunch of well-timed tragedies. That's true. I think that would have made the movie a little maybe hollow if, like, they just killed somebody. It was so and... substantial. Ugh, can't even speak. I think it was. I, I think that, I don't know. I just think it was like they kill somebody know. and then it was all for nothing. That would have been, like, even more of a downer, I think, than what the movie that we got but i don't know i not a bad suggestion all right well if you the listener have any thoughts and you want to shout us out you can follow us on twitter and instagram at screensavers pod you can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com if you like the show you could really help out rate and review on apple Podcasts, spotify whatever platform you use and our facebook is silver screen savers podcast matt where can you be found on twitter on just Twitter or wherever <laughs> you can find me at Maddie X Sturds S-T-U-R-D-Z that's on Instagram Twitter and Letterboxd alright Tyler you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus and on Letterboxd at Tyler96 alright well until next time guys let's not say goodbye let's just say see you tomorrow thank you listeners stay down to bone 
Silver Screen Savers podcast is hosted and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sutkus, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay. Logo designed by Nathan Seidel. 